Welcome, folks. My name is Ben Tartine, and it is Christmas Eve. Please turn with me to John, the Gospel of John, and we'll read the first few verses there. John 1, 1. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And he came into the world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Now this is the gospel. That's quite a passage, isn't it? <laughs> Some folks talk about these words we just read as one of the greatest adventures of religious thought that has ever been achieved. I think, I think that's kind of fair. <laughs> it's, uh, it's real, real rich. At some level, there's some simple ideas there, but the more you dwell on that mystery they reveal, the more it just draws you in like a magnet. And John, John has a real highfalutin Christology, if you will. Our old Christian books and our artwork often portray uh, John with this, well, they don't portray him as a bird, but they use the symbol of an eagle to, to represent John. His, his Christology soars over the rest. He's got, you know, the whole Bible is interested at some level in Jesus and pointing to him. Uh, it feels like John might love Jesus even more than the rest. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, John has a, a lot to say about Christ. With a handful of sentences here, he pulls us into that mystery. And this is, this is this mystery of a God who lives and breathes in unified yet diverse trinity, Father, Son, Spirit, existing in eternal togetherness. In the beginning was the Word, and this Word was with God, and the Word was God, John says. Uh, in the Greek, it's the logos. Logos means word. And notice, this word is God, and also with God. Again, that's that mysterious idea of Trinity. Three persons, one God only. Well, John is Jewish as well, so the idea of a word is much more than our idea of a word. For us, we kind of think of it as a simple communication tool. We use words to say stuff. There, but, but for John, coming out of a Hebrew tradition, words are units of energy, and they're charged with power to create and bind and destroy and build. They've got real harumph. And this word, or any word, a word, is fearfully alive. So, John's writing about a word. This word is alive before the beginning, John says in verse 1. 
and is God himself. That's a big deal. And this word creates everything that has been created, John says. And this word comes to us in a way that is most understandable as coming like light in the darkness. What do you do when you're in a dark place that's also dangerous and you see a light? Yeah, yeah. we're drawn to it. We, we want to move. It's like a natural gravitation. I, I am instinctively drawn to something that is light in that context. So John says that this word is the light. And he says it in verse 4, and then 5, and 6, and 7, and 8, and 9. <laughs> like John really wants you to get this point. He really wants you to see this light. I, I kind of think, too, sometimes if I look at Jesus and I think, I don't know, Seems like a nice guy. I don't know if it's like this bright, shining beacon of hope and light for me. I think John is suggesting to me that maybe I haven't seen Jesus fully yet. When you pay attention to Jesus, you're learning something that is very true in a world that has a very impossible time trying to understand what is true. You look at Jesus carefully, pay attention to him, you're seeing something that's good, very good, our world has a difficult time discerning what is actually good. It makes sense to pay attention to Jesus. And that's the belief embedded in the symbol of the Advent wreath that we have here on Christmas Eve. As we light the final Christ candle, it's this sense of light going into the darkness. Later on, as we sing Silent Night together and have all of our candles lit, that's the symbol. One light spreads out through the world. We also become the light of Christ in the world. So it's a beautiful idea. Well, then the most profound mystery is the one we're celebrating this evening in verse 14. This word with God who is God becomes human. And, and he made his home among us. And he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So the flesh that you and I share, we now share with God. Skin and blood, breath, warmth, bones, hands, feet, a beating heart. God who lives in perfect togetherness and who creates us in his own image now becomes human. <laughs> well, that's cool, all right? At some level, that's very cool. But then we can ask, humanness? Like God becomes human? It might sound a little funny in your ear. It does to me. I was raised to see humanity as a problem. Um, think about it this way. A popular excuse for damaging or irresponsible behavior, you, know, you do something that's just a real bummer, oftentimes we say something like, well, I'm only human. <laughs> what can I do? We might make a carnal choice, very, very animalistic, if you will. And, and afterwards, we look at what we've chosen and we say, well, what can I do? I'm just a human. And it kind of suggests that humanness in and of itself is kind of jacked up, animalistic, this sort of base or debased even way of life. I, I don't think that's actually a very true depiction of humanity. But I will admit that it captures one true idea. That is that physical is limited. Our physicalness is limitedness. 
Maybe for a moment, we could wonder if it is not actually bad to have limited intelligence or limited abilities to choose the right thing or limited perceptions that blind us to what is true. Okay, I, I was always taught that this is bad. If you have a limit, that's a bad thing. Well, maybe it's not bad. We could look at our limitedness and just kind of go all Eeyore on it. Oh, bother. We're just human. <laughs> or we might say, you know, we're limited if we are humans alone, but we become unlimited when we are humans together. I'll say that one more time. Because I think it's at the heart of Advent, and, or the Incarnation. There's this sense that maybe we're limited if we're humans on our own. And I wonder if we become unlimited when we're humans together with God and one another. We might add, bound together in love toward God and fellow human or neighbor. There's something about our bondedness, our togetherness, that brings our humanity into a new realm, perhaps the one that God created us for from the get-go. So what if the problem is not our limitation, but our isolation? Well, I mean, right off the bat, if that's the case, you would move less toward um, um, self-betterment and more toward community connectedness, if you believe that. That the biggest problem is not that you're limited, it's that you're isolated. What if God is coming down to say, I totally get that you're limited. Everybody's limited. I'm not going to hold that against you. I'm going to actually forgive you. You can't choose a lot of stuff very well because <laughs> there's a lot of stuff you don't know or understand or get. In so many ways, you don't even know what you're doing. And my response when I see people doing and they don't know what they're doing, I say, Father, would you forgive them for they know not what they do. And yeah, that might be the scene from the cross where he's talking about murderers who are killing him and he asks, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. But I like to imagine anyway that if that's his heart toward that sort of vicious, brutal felony crime, <laughs> that, that he also has a similar kind of patience, understanding, and love for me and you, Portlanders, here, Christmas Eve, 2019. He forgives us. He understands that we're limited. Jesus shows glory by becoming physically limited and not allowing that to break his togetherness with Father and Spirit. And I think we can do the same. And this is the light of hope in a dark and dangerous world. Because in your dark and dangerous world, all the little fake lights around say, if you just get better, Learn more. You know, the little commercials, the more you know, the more you know, the better you are, the stronger you are, then that's where you enter into the good life as you shed your limitations. I kind of think that the way this whole incarnation story plays out is that God, the unlimited being, says, I'm going to show you that this is okay. And he empties himself. He, he, he limits himself, if you, if you will. He, he, he doesn't come in gripping on to the fact that he's God and saying, I'll show you what's right. Instead, he takes on the form of a, of a humble servant. Boy, it's a profound idea.
Jesus shows his glory by becoming limited physically. But here's the jam. When we look at our limitation, we often are shrouded or crippled by guilt. And we say, oh, I'm so bad. And in that sense, we feel very disconnected and not together with God. And when we're not together with God, then sin creeps in and we start to die. And it's like cutting off oxygen slowly but surely, or maybe very quickly, we die. And so Jesus is limited physically, but still totally connected to Father and Spirit. And I think the encouragement for us is that we can do the same, even though we're limited, broken, and let's even say sinful, making bad choices, things that harm us and harm others. Even in this state, God comes to be with us and says, it's your withness together with me that is what you want to aim for. I was reading a story from a mom the other day, and she talked about her kids arguing over a turn on the scooter. All right? One kid gets a scooter for a present. The other kid does not, and the predictable scenario <laughs> unfolds. Maybe you've seen this or participated in this, you know. I want to turn. No, says the other kid. And then here comes the fight, right? You know how it goes. Mom tries to explain the importance of sharing. This is, this is a teaching moment, right? Uh, we, can, we can get some good education in here. Let's talk about sharing. And then not just sharing, let's talk about the importance of sharing even our most important things, like a brand new shiny scooter. And then even let's ramp it up and say, this is a great time to talk about sharing with our brothers and our sisters. And so mom wants to teach some really good things out of this moment. All right? What do you suppose happens next? No! <laughs> the kid is not having it. This is an injustice and an oppression. It's a, of epic magnitude. No, he says. So what is the mom going to do about this ignorant, rebellious attitude? All right? You see what we're trying to set this up here in a sense of we are, we are limited. We could use pejorative words like ignorant, uh, rebellious, you know, we don't know what we're doing. But we're kind of in that spot. Mom sees a kid flailing in the spot. What's she going to do? Well, in my world that I grew up in, tantrums like this would unleash power and fury. And my authorities would beat down that misbehavior. Inevitably, I learned to think that an authority like God was even more terrifying and more bummed with me. He was so good way too good for me so good that he might just need to destroy me in the end so for now when i misbehave i expect that he will beat me harshly if he finds out and so what do i do well i hide from him i want to say all humanity hides from god at first and so i hide my failure from him and i don't feel together with him and because all the other people like me are also hiding their failure from him, then we all learn to hide from each other. And we say nice things and we show nice pictures. But in hiding, we can only be alone, not together, and I think, therefore, not alive. Well, here's how the mom responds to her kid's tantrum. Right when I expect this mom to power up and shut down the evil, right? She, we, she's going to say... I'm going to use all of my authority and all of my wisdom and all of my power divinely given to me by God. 
I need to control this kid's irrational tantrum. And, and I'm going to drive that sin and rebellion so that righteousness and glory might be restored. And I'm expecting her to power up on this kid. Just like we often expect God to power up on us, or sometimes we hope he'll power up on the people we don't like. Instead, this mom does something very different. Carefully, full of grace and truth, she gently gets down on her knees. She stoops low. She opens her arms, and she says to this flailing boy who's caught in the throes of limitation. She says to him, I know this is hard. Can I love you through this? As the mom, she has governed him and said, you have to let your brother share the scooter. You got to give him a turn. And the kid just can't handle it. He's totally freaking out. And her response is not to shut him down and say, you're bad, you're wrong. She says, I get it because I'm with you. I know this is hard. Can I love you through this? Children, women, men, everybody in this room, this is what we celebrate tonight. This, I believe, is a picture of the incarnation. So the word became human and made his home among us. Here on our knees in the dirt with animals and stables and feeding troughs and all of the humiliation and injustice and brutally visceral parts of this life. He is not too good for you or too good for me. He wants to be together with us. That's what Christmas proves. God comes to be together with us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness and we have seen his glory the glory of the Father's one and only Son. We don't, therefore, take a picture of glory from Hollywood and superimpose it onto Jesus. We look at Jesus as he is and say, this is a picture of glory. And what I see in Jesus is a human being who's incredibly patient, who says, can I be with you through this difficulty? God Almighty gets down on the ground, becoming human, saying, I know this is hard. Can I love you through this? When you love someone, you want to be with them. Love seeks togetherness. Let that anchor into your heart. Love seeks togetherness. The Apostle Paul will say, love bears all things. There's this sense of whatever it takes to be together that's a picture of love. And as our God becomes human, he is called Emmanuel. God with us is what that means. Emmanuel means God with us. He hears our cries. He sees our flailing tantrums about scooters, about portfolios, about loved ones, about marriages. He sees us absolutely wrecked by pain and suffering. He knows that we misbehave. He knows this life is hard and he wants to be with us and love us throughout every single moment we experience. Right when we thought God would power up and start smashing the evildoers, which would certainly be glorious in the eyes of the average mainstream world, instead John says that we see God's glory when we pay close attention to Jesus. And more specifically, we see God's glory when we see him move in love, humility, and faithfulness toward eternal togetherness with us. I see that in the mom 
tending to her flailing kid. Love, humility, restraint. He screams, no, get away from me. But she, as his creator, if you will, knows that this physical feeling is limited. She knows her son is blind in the moment, and she knows it will pass. And so she lives grounded in truth. And she offers clarity to her boy about what is true. Sharing is what we are. It's what we do. You have to do this. It's what life is about. So she's not afraid to tell him what's true and even hold him to what's true, even when he refuses to listen. So that her love is not this sort of ambiguous wishy-washiness. So just do whatever you want. I don't care. That's not love. No, it's clear. It's solid. It's true. But when he refuses to listen, she is patient to give her young and growing human time to develop into the light. All right? He's not in the light in the moment. And you don't just come into the light by agreeing with some fun facts about the Bible. It takes time to develop into it, and she's willing to give him that time. Developing into the light. I think God is being patient with us as we develop into the light. Becoming human. This takes time because we are all formed improperly. From our first birth until this very moment, right now, we are taught to trust college degrees, stable incomes, finances more than anything else. Without income, you end up dirt. Yeah? <laughs> I mean, that's basically the fear, right? If I don't have it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end up dirt in the eyes of the world, a worthless person, and then dirt in the sense of I starve and die and I go into a hole. And when we have been formed to believe that the best human experience happens when you feel good and look good, then that's what you're always chasing. I want to feel better. I want to look better. Look better in the eyes of the world. Almost every single Christmas commercial that you have seen since they started playing them, which <laughs> I think they start like right after Easter these days, the Christmas commercial. But it, uh, Christmas or not, every commercial, everyone has told you that looking and feeling good is the goal. And the best way to achieve both is with stuff. Buy this, own this, subscribe to that. But the stress the anxiety, the depression that comes. We have lots and lots of stuff as good Americans. We have tons of security. We have lots of ways to look good and make ourselves feel good. And if we're feeling bad, we can make ourselves feel good even for just fleeting moments. But my goodness, we are an exhausted nation. We're an exhausted group of Portlanders right here. We cannot show weakness because that doesn't look good. You better not cry. Yeah, you don't cry. It doesn't, doesn't feel good. It doesn't look good. So we hide. And in the hiding, we wonder, are they going to find out how weak I am? How limited I am? And when they do, will they reject me? I've got to hide deeper. Will they cut off relationship from me? Break togetherness with me? And then the income. I labor. I stress. What might happen if I don't get the stuff that I need to get the stuff that I need? And if I don't have that stuff, how will I get the experiences that promise a better life for me? Thankfully, in this horrible context, fear is a really great motivator. So even though you feel like absolute crap, you can get a ton of stuff done. And you live in a world where people are stoked about getting stuff done. Man, I'm productive. And you'll get lots and lots and lots of likes. 
endless likes. And as we're all caught in this exhausting flurry of chaos and drivenness to produce and make ourselves okay and try to become unlimited by working, 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 and we're all dying and freaking out right in the midst of this storm, I hear wisdom whisper through the words of deathbeds. Words like this. I would give it all if I could just have one more day with her. I wish that we would have reconciled while there was still time so we could have been together again. I don't care about the stuff. You can have the money. You can have the property. I just want my family back. I wish I had spent more time together with my people. Ah, men and women, this kind of wisdom is from the light. The light comes into the darkness on a very silent night and shows humanity what it needs. And it sees that it needs togetherness with God. But when we see that we need togetherness with God, we're faced with the fact that we cannot achieve it. I can't bring myself into that togetherness. I need help. And then God comes to make it happen. And when we see that this God who has existed from the beginning, through whom all things were created, this profound, living, active word comes in the flesh to be with us, we look at that and the soul felt its worth. Which is not to say that we don't need water and food and shelter. We do. But when we sacrifice togetherness with God or togetherness with one another, in an effort to procure and protect and preserve, we end up in the pit of darkness. Not alive, but isolated. But he makes us alive through rebirth, John says. We pay attention to Jesus and see that he is born of God. He says that to be born of God, we can and must believe in him. And that means we say yes to him. And when he says can I come and love you through this? We accept him. We don't say, get away. And even if we have been saying, no, get away for 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, maybe our whole life we've been saying, get away from me, I've got this. And when he comes to you and says, can I love you through this? I'm with you. And you say, yes. Then you say, yes, I'm going to stop hiding from you. Yes, I want to be with you. And he holds on to you in that moment. And he doesn't let you go. And maybe when you sense that he's holding on to you and not letting you go, there's this weird sort of thought that creeps in, which is maybe he always has been holding on to me. Maybe he's been holding on to me this whole time. Jesus, our God, he comes to us in the most glorious possible way through the most intimate expression of togetherness, childbearing. He is dependent on Mary, nursing from Mary's breast. And as he depends on her for life (laughs) in that moment in his physical body, she's depending on him for life because she's one of the beings that was created through him. (laughs) It's the most profound mystery, isn't it? It draws us deep. 
She nurses him, and when he cries, she soothes his little body. Maybe at one point she says to him, as he's screaming and crying, I'm sure he was, I will love you through this, Jesus, as her own life participates with his. And he's together with her, and her with him, and this symbol of togetherness could not be richer. We are together in a dark world, and that togetherness is light. It's very different than the dark chaos of the world. Togetherness, real togetherness with each other and God. And as so, we are becoming human every time we say yes to God. He does not blast you with fire and fury to force your obedience or to shame you over your limitations, but instead, in all divine glory and power, he gently kneels onto this earth in front of you and me, And he gives himself to us as a gift. And he says, I know this is hard. Can I love you through this? He becomes human so that we might become human as well.